We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, how is it going, everybody? It is Thursday, February 16th, and I'm going to tell you all, y'all know how much I love y'all. You know how much I love being here with y'all doing these shows. Today is my wife's birthday, and I'm still stepping up and I'm doing a show today. So we're going to have a fun show today, and we're going to talk about, obviously, everything that's kind of gone on the last couple of days. Here's the thing, though. We got our venting out. Ryan got his out. I got mine out. Y'all got yours out. Here's what we're not going to do, folks. We're not just going to keep kind of being complaining about the same stuff. What's done is done, right? There's spin coming out from Notre Dame about how, well, we actually did do this. And it's all bull. It is what it is. It's spin. We're moving past it. We're not going to focus on what Notre Dame has done and what Notre Dame will move forward from a football standpoint. And that's what our focus is going to be on. So I would appreciate in the chat if y'all could kind of stick with us on this and and just say, hey, look, it doesn't mean we have to accept everything or like everything, but we don't have to complain about the same things every single day. It is what it is. And so we're going to focus on what we can do and and what has happened. And so what has happened, obviously, Ryan, since yesterday's show, we obviously talked about the Gino Gadulli hire during the show. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. And then, of course, last evening, Jared Parker was – we got official word that he was going to be the next offensive coordinator name, which we expected. We made very clear yesterday in our show. I had the article talking about it yesterday morning where I said, this is the move that they've got to make. This is the move that Marcus Freeman has to make now. Because of everything that's happening, this is the this is the move he has to make. And so now you talk about those. We're talking about those guys. We'll talk about what the, the job that's left, which is an offensive line coach. We'll, we'll dive into that. We'll talk about what the needs are there and, and what Marcus Freeman needs to do at that position. And then, Ryan, you know, spent a lot of time the last couple of days really trying to find out and dive into what will a Jared Parker offense actually look like. And so we'll talk about that today, too, Ryan. But here's the reality. What's done is done. The administration did what they did. They can spin it all they want, and they can put their little, you know, hey, we'll talk to this person. Let's let's go to ESPN first, and let's talk to this person. No, no, no. Here's what really happened, okay? The reality is, is everything they did was nothing but save face. That's it. The damage was done. There was no way they were getting Andy Ludwig after that initial colossal failure. 
everything they did following was nothing more than a ploy to say, we got to save face so we can put a spin on it and say, no, 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 everything was wonderful. They dropped the ball. They didn't do what they needed to do. End of story. And now we are where we are. Okay, so that's the reality of it, Ryan. Now it's time to move forward and focus on what can they do now to go out and say the expectation doesn't change for the football team. I promise y'all, Marcus Freeman is not lowering expectations for this football team because of what happened. I promise y'all that. And that's what our focus is going to be on, Ryan. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AGI a try because I wanted better gut health, sustained energy, immune support system, but I hate taking pills. And I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great, which is helping me kick my sugar addiction. In the morning before I get to work, I like getting something healthy in my body. And with AG1, I'm giving my body the nutrition it craves. It's very important for me to get my day started off with something healthy. But with my schedule, it's hard to prepare healthy meals. AG1 is a very quick way to pack my body with all that I need to jumpstart my day in a very healthy way. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of AG1 with water and drink it first thing every morning. Done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. It's pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the highest quality source ingredients. Win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash irish. That's athleticgreens.com slash irish. Check it out. Yeah, and I'm excited about it, man. Like I said, you know, we had our... And like you kind of introed here, we had our vending session, right? Things did not go exactly how we would have liked them to go, or at least the process to get to where we are, right? But at the end of the day, Marcus Freeman has moved on. He moved on a couple of days ago. We're moving on as a staff, and I'm excited to give it a chance, you know, at the end of the day, right? There's a there's promising coaches all throughout this, this coaching staff, including now on the offensive side of the football. We have a couple of new coaches and new roles to talk about, so – it's going to be fun really diving into everything because there are a lot of unknowns, but unknowns aren't always a negative, right? Like I think that we always think that unknown is the scary thing, and it can be at times. But there's also the other side of it that's like, that's exciting, right? right. Something new is coming to Notre Dame. So I'm excited to get into what it could be, 
what it might be, and then ultimately see where it ultimately does land as far as what it does transpire to being. I think that that's going to be a big thing that we're going to talk about all offseason. We'll speculate. We'll brainstorm. We'll try to you know throw out some, some ideas and what we think it'll look like. But ultimately, we're playing a guessing game, which can be exciting. It doesn't have to always be scary. I think that's the thing too, Ryan. And we've seen this in the past, right? We've seen some of these hires that have, have been, I don't know what Clark Lee is going to do. I know what he did as an assistant coach at Syracuse and Wake Forest and Bowling Green, but I don't know what he's going to do as a defensive coordinator. And lo and behold, did pretty well, right? Did, did a good job. And so we've seen this around the country, guys that are unproven guys or have very limited experience. What was Garrett Riley's experience as, an, as a coordinator? A year SMU, two years at SMU. If you got the chops, you got the chops. I don't know if Jared Parker has the chops. I know this. He was a darn good tight ends coach for Notre Dame this year. But as we've said in the past, just because you're a good tight ends coach or position coach doesn't mean you're going to be a good coordinator. Just because you're a good coordinator doesn't mean you're going to be a head coach. And just because you're a good head coach doesn't mean you'd be a good coordinator. And so we'll talk about those things as well. But I'm excited to see what it is, right? Because I think think the one thing we can all agree on I think the one thing, no matter what, Ryan, you and I can agree on, everybody in the chat can agree on, and I'm going to be honest with you, if you don't agree on this, then I don't want to hear from you. We all hope that this hire works out for Marcus Freeman. We all hope that Jared Parker goes out there and crushes it. We all hope that by the end of the 2023 season, we all see why Marcus Freeman put the faith in Jared Parker that he did. Right. Now, we don't know that it's going to work out. I have no idea. I think Marcus Freeman thinks that it will. That's why he didn't continue the search for anyone outside. But we don't know. We're going to focus on what we do know and what we've been able to learn about what people are telling us and and, and what we've seen and, and all those type of things about what they're going to do. But I think we all believe, uh, you know, when, when you all when you when you look at this whole thing, the reality is it's an opportunity for Marcus Freeman. It's an opportunity for Marcus Freeman to say, okay, we're going to, I am doubling down on my way. And if you're not on board, bounce. Right. right. And honestly, like it, it's, a, it's a theoretical thing, but I'm putting a fence around my program and it's going to be me, my assistant coaches, you know, like you got the people like the trainer, I mean, but like the people that are involved with our program, we're putting a, and, the, and then of course the players, we're putting a fence around us. And it, we're in our own universe. It, this is us. This is us against the world. And I think that we'll see that mentality come out. We're already starting to see it uh, because of the lack of the support that, that some of these kids are getting in certain areas and, and that are outside the football program. And when I say football program, I'm talking about coaches and players, strength staff. Right. So I know Ron Paulus likes to think he's part of the football program. But to me, he's administration. Right. That's who he is. I don't think he's part of the football program. He likes to insert himself into it because of, of what his job title is, but he's administration. And so to me, it's we are our circle, and everyone, no one else, else out there is going to do what they, is going to step up and help us. We are going to do what we need to do to go out and help us. And I think that's the kind of rallying cry that they need to have. And hopefully Marcus Freeman is correct that this hire that this hire is going to work out and be good and and uh, and go from there. So we'll, we'll we'll kind of focus a lot on that today, Ryan. Before we get into the Jared Parker stuff, I did want to just spend a little bit of time on Gino Gadouli as we've been able to do a little bit more homework, a little bit more research, and just kind of come to the point of of just really finalizing what this hire means for Notre Dame 
and then also sort of what Gino Gadulli needs to do. What's what's in front of him, Ryan? What's the task in front of him? And that's obviously what we'll discuss a little bit today. Then we'll get into the Jared Parker stuff. So, Ryan, obviously, I had a gut reaction to the Gino Gadulli hire yesterday during the show. It wasn't a it wasn't a shocking revelation. I wrote an article yesterday. You and I talked about this the day before. We knew this was the direction that Marcus Freeman was going to go. I didn't expect it to happen yesterday during the show, but we knew this is what was going to happen. And so we've had some time to to think about it and marinate on it and and discuss kind of what this hire means for Notre Dame, what we think of Gino Gadulli and his task. So I'll just kind of give you give you a first opportunity, Ryan, just to kind of just once again, kind of share your thoughts or your feeling and your reaction to what this move means for Notre Dame and, and being able to go out and get Gino Gadulli. I mean, I think it's a great perspective to have to first and foremost, right? I mean, I think that when you're talking about, we're going to talk about the Jared Parker stuff at nauseum, right? As far as what is it going to look like? What is it, you know, where is he going to find his bread and butter? Where is he going to really assert his image on the offensive play calling and what the, what the, you know, the, what the foundations are of the offense. But I think that one great thing that he has is he does have some nice supports around him, you know, and I think that's the first and foremost, when I heard that Gino Gadouli was going to be the, the quarterback coach, I'm like, that's a really nice perspective to have with Jared Parker. I think that's a great perspective because he's been an OC, although very abrupt time as an OC, but he's been a quarterback coach. He's been a passing coordinator He's been around some really good football teams, right? So I think that seeing that perspective on a day-to-day is going to be beneficial. And then the one thing that everyone in the chat has talked about for so long, and I do think it's very beneficial, is that now that you have an, a quarterback coach that is strictly just the quarterback coach, right? A guy to work with that room day in and day out and see through and not have his attention of diverted to another area or you know game planning, all that great stuff, you have a guy that is able to consistently be that presence in the room. So I think it's great for the quarterbacks. I think it's great for a inexperienced offensive coordinator that's obviously taken over at Notre Dame. And he has a good track record working with quarterbacks. You know, we've talked about what he did with Desmond Ritter over the last few years, which was phenomenal work, in my opinion. Really good stuff. So now you have all those things. And then also from the recruiting side of things, you know, I'm going to have a little bit more of a deeper update on this later, Brian, but I did have a chance to talk to a couple of the 2024 recruits, including Cam Williams, who Cam Williams has a very good relationship with Gino, Gino Gadouli. Very good. He talks about, you know, Gino's my man or something like that. He's like, that's my guy, right? So I think that when we're talking about, you know, what's the impact as far as the change and how guys are committed to the program and future classes, all that stuff – Gino Gadouli, from every person that I've talked to so far from the recruiting side of things, and this is directly to recruits, is that he is a very liked recruiter. Like they really like Gino. They really do. They really like him. So I think that that is big time for help from the recruiting side of things. I think that it's a really nice perspective to have in the room. And I think that he's done really good work just developing quarterbacks. So I think it's a no. I, like I don't see any downside to this move, man. I just think it's a really good addition to a quarterback room that needs stability, in my opinion. I, I agree. And, you know, you talked about the recruiting aspect of it, Ryan. You know, we talked about this yesterday in the show. He offered C.J. Carr and developed enough of a relationship with C.J. that C.J. visited Cincinnati unofficially last March before he eventually made his decision to Notre Dame. So when he went on his, let me go look at the schools that I like, and the coaches I like is because that was right around if you if you go back and recall around March is when CJ wanted to commit to Notre Dame 
But his dad said, hey, let's hold off on that. Let's get out and see other schools and really make sure that this is what you want to do, which I think is it's good leadership from a parent standpoint. His dad kind of knew what was going on with the Dante stuff behind the scenes and, and, and just wanted to kind of let things play out. I thought that was good. Good job by Mr. Uh, Mr. Carl Nat. But one of the first schools CJ went and saw during that process was Cincinnati. Now, part of that's because geographic, you mean you start the schools that are close to you, then you then you go visit Miami and some other places. But he did get down to Cincinnati and checked out Cincinnati. So I would imagine, and I haven't heard directly from CJ yet, but I would imagine that this hire is good. He's some he's going to be on board with. I would imagine. I, I, that's an yep. assumption. So I don't want to say for sure. So I think that that should help with that. And you talked about. You know, Cam Williams, one, I was talking with Sean Davis beforehand, and and we've both reached out to a lot of different people and about, you know, Gino in, in the Midwestern the opinion that we've heard from people is this kid, it, this guy is a is a really good recruiter in the Midwest. Yes. Like everybody knows Gino. I mean, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, everybody knows who Gino is. And that's not just from, you know, he was a, he played football at Cincinnati, but he's done really a lot of work as a coach and he grinds. That's the thing that we hear as a, as a recruiter, he grinds. And so you're going to have a coach as well, Ryan, that's going to be focused just on coaching the quarterback position. Yep. I have said in the past, I have no problem with an OC being a quarterback's coach. So I, I never bought into the whole, you know, quarterback's coach, coaches, quarterbacks aren't coached well because the quarter, the OC is the quarterback's coach. I never bought into that stuff. But it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing either when you yeah. just have a quarterback's coach. And so I think in this instance, you're going to have someone that's going to who's in, whose entire process is going to basically be around the quarterbacks. But he's also someone who who has experience running a whole offense, who has experience being a, a a pass game coordinator. He's someone who has coached other positions. He coached the running backs in 2017, which, you know, I'm a fan of. So I think it gives a, a coach a greater appreciation for how everything works when you've coached other positions. So. I, I I think the hire there's no downside to this hire from what we know. I think the fit will be fine. Again, he's a Kentucky guy. He went to Fort Thomas in in Highlands, Kentucky. Played at Cincinnati. His coach is Cincinnati. You know, he's a he's he's familiar with what Notre Dame's all about. And so I think in those and he's played the position and he played yes. it at a pretty good level. I mean, he's the the school's all time leader in passing yards and he's second all time in in uh, passing touchdowns. The only guy that's passed him in passing touchdowns was his pupil, Desmond Ritter. Yep. Right. And Desmond Ritter's number two all time in, in, in passing yards behind Geno. So I think that I think that's a good hire. I think it's a strong hire, recruiting hire. It's a strong coaching hire. And he's a guy that obviously played the position, can relate to players. I think he's a younger guy, but he's not young. Right. right. I mean, he he's he's more in, in kind of my generation as opposed to you know, some others. He played at uh played at uh, Cincinnati in the early two thousands. You know, he's 40 years old. It'll actually be 40 next month. So he's young, but he's not like young, young. And I, and I think that matters a little bit too. And, you know, played, played professional football ish, you know, I mean, played for a few years in some different leagues, arena league played, had a, was on the, you know, obviously played at Cincinnati was undrafted, uh, spent a little bit of time trying to make the Titans roster, spent some time in the, in the, I think the CFL spent some time in arena league, and so that kind of pushed his coaching career back a little bit. He didn't get started actually until 2010. So, but he's been a college football coach for over 10 years. And, you know, obviously, as we said, Ryan has done a really nice job in that regard. And where did he coach? Cincinnati and Central Michigan, right? That's yeah. it. And, you know, recently was hired at Wisconsin and, and uh, Notre Dame obviously took him away from, from Luke Fickle there. And it fits with what Marcus Freeman has, has I think, really emphasizes 
and what we think he needs to emphasize, which is I know Gino. I worked with Gino. I know what he's all about. He knows what I'm all about. And if Gino didn't believe in what Marcus Freeman was doing, he's not leaving Luke Fickle in Wisconsin to come down to Notre Dame. 100%. And I think that's important. That's a very after everything that was happened, that's incredibly important, right? Well, well, Brian, you know how I am. After I know that somebody's on Notre Dame's radar becomes a hire by Notre Dame, I go and I just watch every interview on YouTube I can find, man. I was listening to the press conference for Gino. I was listening to him being mic'd up on the field. One thing I really like is he, and this is something that has been Jared, this is how people have described Jared Parker as far as pe- coach players that have been under him and recruits and all that type of stuff. There's an energy about him, which is really cool, man. Like I, I, I think that he's – and it makes sense that Gino is a respected recruiter on the trail because there's just like – this is like – he's got kind of like a, a funny but like awkward personality a little bit. and But he, he carries himself really well, but he's just really relatable it sounds like to me. So I think that he will do a good job recruiting, and I think that he's relatable – for the players that are on the staff as well. So I, I just get a really good vibe of the energy that he brings to the table. So I'm a fan of it, man. Like I said, I, I, I really don't see a downside. You know, his resume is good. He's a younger guy. He, you know, has specialized in the position that he's going to be coaching. He's got experience calling a ga- calling an offense, calling a passing game. Like there's just really not a downside to it, in my opinion. Here's another part of it too, Ryan. I mean, you are going with a coach who is a – who's been a coordinator for two years. That's it. That's not inexperienced, but it's not experience either, right? You have a guy that's transitioning into, uh, he's really just going into his second year at Notre Dame. Having another coach with a background of calling plays, putting together a game plan and those type of things to me is going to be important. I think getting as many people with experience like that, the key, however, is you've got to be able to work together. Right. Because you can have like I want a coaching staff where my my offensive coordinator, all my position coaches are all really wicked, smart guys with strong opinions. But they also understand that they're working together as one unit. And it's not about my ideas, your ideas and your ego. It's, hey, we're going to talk ball. We're going to spit ball. We're going to we're going to brainstorm. We're going to get on the board. We're going to break down film. We're going to challenge each other because that's what you do to come to the best thing that you're going to do. And, And I think that that's important as long as they work well together. Having someone with his background a year as an offensive coordinator at Cincinnati, obviously last year, uh, having to fill the role of, of the things that they had to do at Cincinnati last year. He was a pass game coordinator for Cincinnati in 2020 and 2021. I've heard plenty of rumblings over the years that in 2021, Gino had a lot of the play calling responsibilities. It wasn't as much Mike Denbrock. A lot of it was Gino from the booth calling things down. So I don't know if that's true or not, but we heard those rumors before this all, all this happened. We heard those last year as well. So having that kind of that kind of coach, I think, really helps. And one of the things I've been told about Jared Parker, and I don't know if this is true or not, this is what I've been told, is that he is someone who who believes in the staff has to work together to put game plans together and those type of things. Now, as the OC, I'm the decision maker and I have the final say, and we're going to kind of go with this is where I want to go with the offense. Now help me get there but he understands how important it is to kind of work with work together. And I think that'll be good. And not, the, the, when we say things like this, it's not saying that, well, Tommy Reese never did that. That That's not what I'm saying. I don't really care to get into that. I care to focus on what they're going to be moving forward. And I think that's an important thing, but I think it was harder for the offensive staff to work together last year because it was a lot of guys that don't know each other. And I think that's going to be a bit of a challenge this year as well, Ryan, because you will have a new quarterbacks coach who, who, 
he knows Marcus Freeman and Jared Parker knows Marcus Freeman, but I don't believe they've ever coached together. And so, you know, there is going to have to be learning that relationship. And then, of course, a new offensive line coach is going to come in. And, you know, you do have Chancey who's coming back and Dylan who's who's back for now. And so, you know, you look at those things and you say, okay, they're, they're going to have to re- learn each other again a little bit. There's going to be a process to that. And they've got to learn to figure it out quickly because they're going to have to go on the same page. But having a guy like Gino who, as an offensive coordinator, I can rely on to maybe take a bigger role in sort of the prep and the game planning and who, whose ideas you can say, Hey, what did, what's something you guys did that you really liked or that you didn't like, or that really worked for you. Having more guys that have been in that battle and had to make those decisions, I think is helpful as long as everybody understands what their current role is on the staff. Well, and I, I think, I mean, it's just my pulse, Brian, cause I haven't talked to, you know, Jared Parker. Right. But from everything I've heard from interviews, he's done from, just, you know, people that know him, he does seem like the kind of guy that would be very open to what do you think about this, right? Because there are, to your point, there are a lot of offensive coordinators who are just egotistical, man, just like to the highest degree. Like my way is the only way. I don't want to hear about it. You do what I tell you to do. Jared Parker does strike me as a guy that will be very open to other people's ideas. Like whoever the whoever the offensive line and coach coming in, like what is what do you like to coach? What is the style? What type of plays have you specialized in? What do you feel like this offensive line can do best here? Talking to Chancey, Chancey, what passing game, what passing game schematics do you like best? What route combinations do you feel like fit best with what we have on this roster? Right, Dela McCullough, like what run game runs do you feel like your running backs implement the best? They work through the best, their vision, all that type of stuff. Gino, tell me what you see in these quarterbacks every single day. Where's their bread and butter? What do you think Sam Hartman really excels at? I think he will be open to that because he just seems like that type of personality that won't be like my way is the highway and I'm the only one that knows anything about football. Because we know that there are a lot of offensive coordinators, a lot of coaches in general that are like that. So I'm excited to see the meshing of ideas because I do think, and again, this is just my assumption. I don't know this 100% certainty. But I do think Jared Parker seems like the type of guy that will be very open to other people's perspectives and ideas. Well, he better be, because I think that's the way to go. And, yes. I, and I think Gino Gadulio will bring value based on the things that we've heard. So I think this is a good positive move for Notre Dame. Obviously, the other move that Notre Dame made was promoting Jared Parker to the offensive coordinator position. He will still coach the tight ends. That's been asked a lot. So he will continue to coach the tight ends. I think one of the benefits of having an offensive coordinator who is a tight ends coach, we've seen it before, and and is that you can still work with your guys, but you can also say, hey, you guys, we're working on route certain route techniques today. I want you guys going and working with Coach Stuckey and in, in, in a GA because you guys are learning the same things. And or hey, we're doing a run period. I want you guys to go work with the offensive line coach and in, in, in his GA. And I'm going to go over here and you know get with Gino on the quarterbacks, or I'm going to go over here and get with Coach Stuckey on the receivers while my guys are working with the offensive line or things like that. Or he can just sit back and analyze. So you can do a little bit of both of those when you have at that particular position. You can't really do that at other positions. Like you can't have the off if the offensive line coach is the <clears throat> offensive coordinator, you can't send them down to work with the running backs coach, right? Where they're going to still get coached on on certain techniques. You have to allow your GA to see that. And same thing with quarterbacks is, you know, you're kind of always with them. And so I think that's obviously uh, something – it's not a plus or a negative. It's just uh, an interesting way that you can kind of go about doing things. 
And I mean, you have to admit the, the best offensive coordinator Notre Dame has had the last 10 years from a production standpoint is Chip Long, who was, I mean, th- that's not debatable. They averaged over like two more points per game offensively. They averaged more yards and, and yards per play during his tenure. And so uh, Notre Dame had what a playoff appearance under his tenure. I mean, they, they, they had a lot of success under Chip Long offensively and didn't have the talent at the skill positions, in my opinion, that they do now, not across the board, not with the depth and still went out and had success, and he was a tight ends coach. Now, that doesn't mean that every offensive coordinator that's tight ends coach is going to be successful. It just means that you can you can have success with a tight ends coach as your offensive coordinator, as we've seen at Notre Dame. Yep. So I think that's another way to look at it too, Ryan. But uh, I've seen Jared Parker's promotion, and we're going to find out now, right? This is something that we knew was – I say knew. That's, that's overstating it. We had a feeling that there was going to come a time when Jared Parker's going to be the OC at Notre Dame. Didn't think it was going to be this offseason, but we had a feeling it was going to happen at some point in time. And now it's time to move forward. And and the thing about it is that that needs to be discussed is Jared Parker has a vision for offense. Part of the reason that Marcus Freeman hired him is because Jared Parker's vision for offense fits in line with what Marcus Freeman wants. And as I said, I think I said this yesterday, Ryan. I know I know I've said it to you, but I don't know if I said it in the show yesterday. Marcus Freeman kind of feigned ignorance a little bit last year. Well, you know, I mean, the offense is going to, you know, that's not my thing. And I need to hire someone that I trust. Look, trust me. I'm I'm telling you this confidence. I, I, I've known this for a while. Marcus Freeman absolutely has an idea what he wants to do offensively. Is it going to be jumping into drills and teaching the offensive line the proper technique on duo or inside zone? No, that's not what he's talking about. But he very much has a very clear vision for once what he wants offensively, the style of offense that he has, and and what is required to play complementary football. Because he understands it, there's two ways to look at complementary football. One is for an offense, if a de- defensive guy, hey, control the clock, you know, don't limit possession so the defense can do this. Then there's the the standpoint of yes, we are we need to protect the defense at times, but we also understand the importance of scoring points in conversations that I've had over the last couple, about a couple months, Marcus Freeman has made it more and more clear to people that this is not a milk the clock throw for 85 yards a game situation. Like we saw against Clemson. That's, that's not a knock on anybody. Did you see the win that day? Did you know who was a quarterback? The point is, is like, that's not the ultimate Marcus Freeman offense. It's pro style. It's physical, it's balanced, it's explosive, and it's efficient. That's what he wants, right? So when I say Marcus Freeman's vision, it's not Marcus Freeman saying, okay, we're going to run this pass concept, this pass concept, this pass concept. We're going to run these four run plays. We're going to motion and shift this way. It's no, this is my vision. This is my philosophy. This is how I want to be. This is how I want to go about practice. And I need you to buy into that. I need you to carry that out because it has to, it has to mesh well with what we're doing defensively as well. And part of this move was because Jared Parker and Marcus Freeman, clearly from having worked together, being friends and working together again last year, are on the same page on what this is going to be. And and that's really what this came down to is Marcus Freeman said, I could go get somebody from the outside and hope that he's going to buy into my vision during that we that we, we discussed during the interview process. Or since I didn't get the guy that I wanted, I'm going to now double down and say, OK, I'm going to go with someone that I know can run an offense that's going to do what I what I want done. And ultimately, that's what this move is about. It, there's people that say, well, he, he, this was forced upon him only from the standpoint of he didn't get his number one guy. Right. But this is not a move that was forced upon him. This is a move where Marcus Freeman said, 
I need with everything going on, I need to make sure that I'm surrounded by people that I trust. And there's not an offensive coordinator candidate out there that Marcus Freeman was going to trust more than Jared Parker. Yep. I mean, that's that's so what it comes down to, man. And it's going to be interesting to see how everything obviously follows suit here. But I think it's going to be really interesting too, Brian, because I mean, again, this is just an assumption. But you would think from everything that we've heard as far as how much players really do like Jared Parker, I'm curious to see how quickly the buy-in comes from that side of the football, right? Like, you know, because he's going to lay out his plan. He's going to lay out the way it looks, obviously combined with Coach Freeman's perspective on this is what the offense is going to look like. This is where we need to go. This is how we're going to get there. All that, all that great stuff, right? And I think ultimately I'll be very interested to see how long it takes for all the quarterbacks, offensive linemen, everyone involved to really buy into what it's being sold as, right? And I think that, you know, we talked about Gino Gadouli, you know, coming to Notre Dame. I think that that's a big help in that vision as well. I, I think that you're showing that you are willing to put the resources out there for it, right? And you're willing to stick to your vision and stick to your guns and do what you need to do in the overall vision, which I think is great. I mean, it's not like they went out and got an air raid guy, right? And that doesn't fit their vision at all. They just got a guy that they think is a good offense coordinator, for instance. Like Sean Lewis, a guy that I know the staff felt very high on in his talent potential, but he just wasn't a fit for what they're looking for. Exactly. So they're not compromising their vision for just a good coach, right? They got a good coach that they think also fits the vision, which I think is very important because ultimately identity is such an underrated thing that we don't talk about enough for a football team, right? What's your identity? How do you see yourself? Where are you going? All that type of stuff. And I think that there's clearly a vision at Notre Dame for what they want to be offensively. And I'm just very hopeful, and I think it will happen, that I do think that the players will buy in pretty quickly under Coach Parker because I think that – and that's why I, I show that's why we kind of put out those quotes from players that have, you know in the past what they said about Coach Parker because I think the big thing that people are missing here is that part of the offensive identity and being a great offensive football team is also that the players around you – buy into it, right? Like they want to play for that. They want to do that because they believe in it. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I want to see early on is how quickly the players buy in and believe in what Coach Parker and the offensive staff are trying to accomplish. That's going to be key. If you don't get the players to buy in, if you can't, if you can't, okay, he's got Marcus Freeman's trust. Now you've got to make sure you get the players' trust. That's going to be key. That goes with how you go about your business. It's how you interact with them. There's going to be a level of, Okay, they're going to talk to the tight ends, the guys that don't, maybe aren't sure of them. But, I mean, they're around them every day. The players are around them every day. But it's in a completely different capacity now. You're now the guy standing in front of the room. You're not the guy off to the side listening to the guy who's standing in front of the side of the room. You're not standing in front of the room. You're now the leader. You're now the guy that's going to set the tone. You're you're going to set the t- the, the energy level, the tempo, the, the focus, the practice schedule. You're going to be after the one that says, hey, you got to get all of us going in the same direction now. We're following you. Now go lead. And we're going to find out if Jared Parker can do that or not, right? And we can sit there and say all we want. Oh, yeah, it's it, he's going to do this. He's going to do that. And as we said yesterday, we don't know. We just know what the expectations are. And and I think the expectations that I had for the, for the team this year don't change. And and what I mean by that is, is the expectations, to me, Ryan, aren't set by, by the standard of your coaches. The, the expectations are set by – this is Notre Dame. This is what the expectation should be. This is the talent that you possess. This is the schedule that you play. 
Here's what the expectations are. And now it's up to you to meet those expectations. And if anything, surpass those expectations. And so when I say the expectations don't change, it's not that I, I have the same belief in Jared Parker that I had in Tommy Reese or Andy Ludwig or whoever else. I'm not saying that. I don't know. We're, we're not going to really have a sense of what a Jared Parker offense is going to look like from a structure or practice standpoint until we see it in March. Right. But what I'm telling you is the standard doesn't change. The expectations don't change. The expectations are you're going to put a championship caliber offense on the field next year. That's what he's being tasked with. Here's the good part. Him, the O-line coach, whoever they hire, Gino Gadouli, Chancey Stuckey, Dila McCullough, they're bringing back a really talented group and a lot more experienced group than they had a year ago. That is something that helps, Ryan. It helps when you can look and say, okay, you're not having to teach a bunch of young kids how to play. You've got kids that have played a lot of snaps, played a lot of football. You're going to, there's going to be young kids that you got to develop, but this is a group that should be ready to rock and roll. Jared Parker is going to kind of put his own spin on things, but there's also going to be a level of continuity. You're going to have a new quarterbacks coach, new O-line coach and all that stuff, but the terminology is not changing. The basic structure of the offense isn't necessarily going to change, meaning it's still going to be same personnel groupings that we saw. It's just going to be emphasized differently. Uh, we'll dive into the run game and different things here in a little bit when we dive into his offense, but there is going to be continuity from a, we're not having to learn somebody's new playbook. It's going to be very similar. It's just he's going to put his DNA on it as opposed to Andy Ludwig coming in and having to adapt, you know, what Notre Dame says to what he does and making all those. And I would have been fine with that, but it's just, it's just different. And so I think that's a positive when you're, when you're promoting from within, it does create a level of, of continuity. And I think that should help a team that's returning a lot of talent and a lot of experience next year. There's some holes that got to get filled. Sure. But but th- th- there's no excuse for this offense not to be good this year. I, none, in my opinion. Yeah, no, there isn't. And I, I mean, yeah, every team always has a couple holes that they need to fill, right? But the point blank period to it is that you have an experienced quarterback that threw 110 touchdowns during the course of his career. You have a very talented couple quarterbacks behind that quarterback that's coming in for this year. You have one of the top stables of running backs in all of college football. Coach Stuckey has very quickly rebuilt this wide receiver room and turned it into a very talented wide receiver room with three early enrollees that came in this this spring or this winter, now going into the spring. Not to mention Tobias Merriweather a year older, Deion Colsey a year older, Lorenzo Styles and Jane Thomas a year older. Like you have dudes everywhere. Offensive line wise, you have maybe the best left tackle in college football. It's very possible. You have one of the other, I mean, one of the best right tackles in college football. You have a starting center coming back. It's an embarrassment of riches from a talent perspective. 31 points a game. It should have been better than 31 points per game last year, but we know the difficulties when you lose a quarterback and you don't have a guy that maybe can create explosive plays. But regardless, the offense should have been more productive than it was last year. This year, there's no excuses, man, because all do, I mean, like, God forbid for a second, Sam Hartman gets hurt. Tyler Buckner coming in the football game was your starting quarterback this season, right? To begin the year. So you have, you have a lot more depth than you've had in recent years at every position across the board. This is a good situation for coach Parker to get put into, right? This isn't a West Virginia situation where it's like not really has autonomy of his offense. Doesn't really have a ton of talent. 
you're going to have your opportunity to put your imprint on the offense and you have a lot of talent to work with at the end of the day. So it's a great opportunity. He's going to need to start fast because there's high expectations, obviously, this year. The good thing is first couple games of the season are not the most trying, so there's going to be a little bit of a transitional period, right? So you can try some stuff out maybe the first couple games to get really, you know, to get the wheels churning going into the harder portion of the schedule. But the offensive talent is very high at Notre Dame, and there's a lot of depth across the board. So it there is Ryan froze up on us a little bit there, so we had a little bit of a a little bit of a pause. But you were rocking and rolling, man. You're making some good points, and then your Wi-Fi was like, "No, we're done. We're good." <laughs> so, Ryan, I, I do want to move on to what we think a Jared Parker offense is going to look like. Now, how do we know what a Jared Parker offense is going to look like? Well, we don't really have any evidence of that because, as I've said to you for over a year now, well, I don't know about a year. I, I'm trying to remember when he got hired last year. It was around this time. It was close to this time because I know I know that uh, I, if I remember correctly, I thought John McNulty left like late late January. If I remember correctly, I could be wrong on that. I thought he left in late January to go to BC. Then Jared Parker was brought in to replace him. So I think maybe a little over a year ago, as we started kind of doing some digging, is he ran somebody else's offense, West Virginia. He ran what Neil Brown wanted him to run. Yep. And and there's no one that's ever been able to refute that with me, like to provide evidence to refute that with me. And so you can't like when, when we, Ryan, when, when we knew that Andy Ludwig was going to be the guy and we knew that's what Marcus Green was zeroing in on, you and I just did nothing but just getting as much Utah film as we had. We watched 22 film, 21 film, 19 film. We went all the way back to 19 to watch film with Tyler Huntley. There's really, you can't really do that with Jared Parker. It's, it's kind of a waste of time to be completely honest with you because he wasn't, he's not bringing what he did at West Virginia over here. So we have to do some homework. We have to talk to people that know him. We have to talk to people to around him. You've got to talk to as many sources as we can to say, Hey, what are the things that, that we believe he wants to instill, wants to install? What, what directions does he want to take this offense? And so I think we have a much better idea now, as much of an idea as we can without seeing practices and those type of things. But I, I do feel that we can we can have a good conversation about what he believes in structurally, philosophically, and then even get a little bit into some some run, some some concepts that I think we're going to see him run. And so I think that's a, a big thing. And, and I think the first thing you're going to notice with with Jared Parker is talking to different folks and, and doing the homework that I've been able to do. He's very much a details guy. You know, very finer points, teaching fundamentals, teaching technique. We praised all season. Remember how how we didn't have nice things to say about the blocking of the Notre Dame tight ends in the first few weeks of the season. We didn't have any nice things to say at all. And Michael Mayer's blocking was especially problematic. But as the year went on, it got better and better and better and better. The route running from the group got better and better and better and better. Michael Mayer decides not to play the bowl game. Get ready for the draft. Mitchell Evans steps in with Holden Stace, and all of a sudden, guess what? Tight end play was still clutch. And I think Mitchell Evans had, like, what, three catches for 39 yards, something like that. He was open a couple other times. We talked about early in the game where, you know, Tyler threw a go route to the outside that was incomplete. I think doing the double coverage, he had Mitchell Evans streaking down the, the seam to the right for what would have been a big play. So there was opportunities there. I thought the blocking in the in the bowl game was a lot better, and so that that to me is 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 good to see. But he's someone that understands. Hey, scheme is great, but we got to teach these kids how to play. 
based right. on conversation I've had, several conversations I've had, I do feel confident saying that with Jared Parker, big picture, we're going to see a little scaled back from a volume, how much you so Because like a playbook is going to be big. It, it, it has to be big. That when we talk about the volume and scope of an offense, it's not about the playbook. You need answers. You need stuff that you can turn to week after week and, and when you have to adjust your offense. What what we're referring to is you can only take so much of your offense into a season, and you can only take so much of your offense into a game. And so that's where I come from is, look, I may have 250 different pass concepts that I can use. Now, past concepts are involved, like variations of things, different tags. Like there's all types of, of things. You, you may have 25 different things you do with Smash. It has to do with, you know, different tags out of different formations. How much of that can I carry week to week? And, and what is our foundation going to be going into a season? Okay, we're going to run these concepts pretty regularly. This is what we believe in. And then each week you're going to carry extra stuff that fits what you want to do against that particular opponent. And so... I think you're going to see them scale back a little bit on the amount of of like scheme that they're going to take in each game and focus more on fundamentals, technique, toughness, but then also doing a lot of things with motions and shifts and things like that uh, offensively. I, we may even see the tempo get pushed a little bit more at times. Uh, I'm told that Jared Parker is not a perfect play guy, which means we'll see less of the scan. It's more of hey, if we're going to teach this concept, and we discussed this a little bit yesterday, if we're going to teach this concept, if they show us a look that that isn't favorable for this concept, then, we're, then we have something to, to go to within that call. We don't have to change everything every single play, right? So if we're running, I think this is the example we use, Ryan. If we're, if we're running cover three and uh, smash into cover three and, and we think it's cover three, we don't necessarily have to check the play because we have something tagged with it that, works against this that kind of thing and so those are those are different concepts and or different philosophies i think that we'll see from this offense but i was told very directly that jared parker believes that an offense has to be built inside out and and when i heard that i i was very happy and i think you can buy it because you know we saw how important blocking was to him as a tight ends coach and and we know that marcus freeman wants to be able to run the football Jared Parker's not getting promoted if he doesn't believe in running the football. But this is also a guy that played wide receiver in the SEC and has spent most of his career coaching wide receivers. And so I think what we're going to find is there's going to be a nice little blend of, yeah, we got to be able to run the football, but we're going to be a more receiver-centric offense as well. We're going to put more on our receivers from a well, – not from a volume of play standpoint, but we're going to need you guys to make more plays. We're going to involve you more in the things that we're doing. And I think that's going to be a welcome addition for certainly for that group and for Chancey Stuckey's group. So I think I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of a lot more of the of the perimeter being attacked this year, and than we did in 2022. Not because Tom Reese didn't want to. We've discussed this. They just didn't have the personnel to do it at you know at, at quarterback and at other positions. So they went that direction. So it's going to certainly look a lot different in that regard, Ryan. Yeah, well, and, and I think that, I mean, the perfect play thing was one of my favorite things that we had kind of discussed, right? It's that you have smart kids at Notre Dame, right? And to the trust that you have, need to have in that situation where, look, this isn't exactly what we were anticipating going against, but we still have the options to find a hole in it still, right? Like that's that's the biggest thing for me, man, is that, you know, the, the scan stuff, again, 
I get it from an offensive coordinator's perspective because you're trying to find the perfect play. You're trying to find, you know, the the right call. I understood why it was a thing, but I really think that it's basically saying that my kids can't adjust sometimes too, right? Like I need to give them the perfect play because they don't know how to do X, Y, and Z when they see A, B, and C, right? And I think that when you talk about the fact that there's more trust in this fact that players can make an adjustment and they can make a decision to beat something that you weren't anticipating. I think that that is a, a great sign. I think that there's a lot of player driven thought processes through this that I kind of look at and I say like, there's a lot, there's a deep belief in what the players can do from a mental approach, from a physical approach. So it's going to be interesting to see because it's going to be a little different than what we saw last year, obviously. And I really do like the fact that the identity is not changing, right? There might be a slightly change of emphasis in certain departments, but you're still core. The the beliefs that Notre Dame abides by, you need to run the football, man. You need to be strong up the up the middle. And then you need to create explosive plays off of the run game. Like that, those things are core essentials and requisites to what is is going to be successful at Notre Dame. So I think everything aligns and it all sounds great on paper. Ultimately, you need to see what it looks like on the field. But I do like the core competencies that Jared Parker brings do seem to match with what Notre Dame has historically been very successful with. I think some things that we'll see continue a lot, maybe be built upon a little bit, Ryan, is another thing that I was told is from a personnel standpoint, we'll dive into the personnel, that Jared Parker is an 11 and 12 personnel guy. I think we'll also still see some of the 21 personnel. Nobody nobody makes 21 personnel the way that we refer to 21 personnel, a regular offense. I don't know if it can work necessarily as a regular offense. And when we refer to 21 personnel, we're referring to two tailbacks. So I actually called it 21 speed is what we called it when I was coaching. So 21 meant we're putting two backs, but one of them's a fullback. When we wanted to go, uh, we would go 21 speed. Other people call it lightning, you know, where you're putting two tailbacks in the game. That won't be the base offense, but I do anticipate we will still continue to see that as well. So I think we'll see that. Another thing I was told is it, it's going to be very, very pro style in its movement pre-snap. We'll see some under center. Uh, we'll, st- we'll still see a lot of shotgun. We'll still see balance in that in that regard. We're going to see a lot of motions and shifts uh, that are designed much like what we saw in the past. So that part won't continue. Because I think one thing that Tom Reese did a, a, a pretty good job of at times this year and especially later in the year, Ryan, was when he realized, hey, we can't we can't throw the football. Or at least in, or when he decided they weren't going to throw the football, I should say. He got real creative at times with how they used motions and shifts in the run game. And and the Clemson game to me was a a, a clinic on how to use motions and shifts and personnel to 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 add extra gaps into your run game and and really go after a team that's even trying to play the run. It was an absolute clinic. Now we didn't always see that, but when it was on, when he was on, it was on. And I think we'll still see a lot of that. We'll still see a lot of movement and not every single play, but we're going to see shifts from tight ends motions. I think that, you know, when you're a coach who likes to use RPOs, it's another aspect of this offense is we're going to see a lot more RPO from this offense relative to last year. Doesn't mean they're going to run, an RPO, a tag an RPO with every single play, right? So like, Ryan, if I'm running an outside zone, I don't want to run an RPO to that side. I need the receivers to that side blocking. I may tag an RPO backside and just pull and throw a quick hitch or a quick out, but 
I need guys blocking. I need my slot receiver a lot of times heading downfield to cut off that deep safety in case we do get a vertical crease, right? So there's some concepts you don't necessarily want to have everybody running RPOs with. Uh, counters are, are another one of those. I don't want to run a, a, a RPO to the count, counter side. I'll run one backside, but I can't run it to the counter side. So I'm not one of those people that's like just tagging an RPO with everything. But we're going to see a lot more usage of the RPO from week to week than we have in the past. That is that is something I'm quite confident in, and 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 what we're going to see, Ryan. And I think it's going to look a little different. I mean, we'll see some of the some of the Sark stuff. We'll see the bubbles. We'll see the nows. We're going to see some, but we're going to see them run true RPOs, Ryan, like true pro style RPOs, which means throwing off second level defenders vertically, yeah. not just for the looks and the bubbles, the nows and the bubbles. It's not just going to be that. It's not just going to be banging a quick, you know, open bound, a boundary window opening versus soft corner, bang the hitch, bang the quick out. We'll see some of that, but we're going to see some true downfield, like, you know, second level defender RPO reads this year, I believe as well. And I think having a quarterback like Sam Hartman is important. But the other thing too is, Tyler Buckner has to be in an RPO offense, in my opinion. Like his game is limited if he's not in an RPO offense because he brings such a running threat to the table. So whether you've got a veteran, smart quarterback like Sam Hartman or a dual threat guy like Tyler Buckner, the RPO game is a tremendous benefit to quarterbacks. It's going to create more efficiency. It's going to create better, I think, first and second down efficiency, especially, Ryan. It's going to make it very harder for teams to really load the box up if they can really, truly develop a good, effective, not overly complex, because you don't want too much thinking. That's how turnovers happen. But a a much more detailed RPO system is going to really be a benefit to the run game and not put as much on the line to have to block seven, eight, nine guys every time like we saw last year. If they ran RPOs effectively against Stanford, they'd have won by three touchdowns because Stanford was just crowd in the box and and so i think that's going to be a, an important part to this too that's going to really help the quarterbacks but it's going to really help the run game a lot ryan yeah well i i i mean think i'm thinking that from a linebacker perspective for a second right i hate rpos man i hate rpos i hate motion and i hate shifts i hate all those things why do we do that folks why do we do all that stuff it's to make linebackers look stupid and <laughs> make second level defenders wrong that's why you're running rpos that's why you're running trades that's why you're motioning across your it's eye candy that's all it is for linebackers right you're trying to make them guess wrong you're trying to make them overreact to a movement that's what rpos and that's what those you know those motions and pre-snap movement that's what it dictates and you're trying to get a linebacker out of position whether it's in the run or the pass game so i respect it man i respect it though from an offensive perspective because how the game is played today, man, where you're trying to just get guys in space so easily and manufacture space, make those dumb linebackers look stupid. I mean, honestly, like, I, you know, as a former dumb linebacker, make them look stupid, make them guess wrong and throw it where they ain't. That's, that's just right. that's basically where it comes down to, man. Right. Make the game easy. That's what RPOs are built off of. That's what motions built off of. It's making the game easy. You're trying to make the opposition guess wrong and when they guess wrong you take advantage of them so mm-hmm. i love it we wanted more of that this year we wanted more of that we got more motion like you said down the stretch of the season that was great got some more trading down the end of the season that's great we never got the rpos enough though never not got enough, enough of that. yeah not enough mm-hmm. there were some but there was not enough in my opinion so those things 
make the game easier for your offense. It makes quarterback reads easier. It makes running back reads through the first to second level easier. Make the game easy. That's what it's predicated on. The, the a benefit to RPO as I, I love how you brought it up from a defensive player standpoint, Ryan. Like you hate it because you're always having to think, you're always having to move, you're always having to okay, am I going here? Am I going there? Anytime you can create indecision or even a split second of indecision in a defensive player, it gives me a chance to to, to hurt you bad. What it also does, Ryan, as an offense, is it re- it makes it very hard for you to to out leverage us or to have leverage with us and to have numbers in the box. It's very hard to do both. You have to have great talent at that point in time. But your 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 the RPO game, especially if you're running it effectively where you're you're running it for width and you can throw behind it because if it's just width if you're just running nows and bubbles you can have guys fly downhill and and try to blow that stuff up and if you have a cornerback like cam hart like clemson learned this clemson runs a lot of rpos and they tried to rpo notre dame to death in that game and cam hart and benjamin morris and especially cam hart he was great in this area but they were just coming up and blowing it up and just like there's nothing they could do about it. my guys are just better than your guys and it forced him to throw the ball down the field. And DJ's just not a real accurate just, you know, player throwing the ball down the field. What made Alabama's RPO so hard to defend in 2020, beyond just they had great players, was they were hurting Notre Dame with the perimeter stuff, the now screens and getting the leverage. But then once Notre Dame would start out-leveraging this way, they're throwing those glance routes kind of back inside off an RPO. And so it, you're starting to think, okay, we're going to defend – the run game this way with our with our box and our safeties, and then we're gonna we're gonna defend the RPOs this way with our rover and our corners, but which it works actually really well if you're a team that's just a perimeter oriented. You're just banging outs, bubbles, and now screens, right? But if you're a team that's running RPOs where you're throwing maybe uh, you know glances or slants, or, or you're able to even willing maybe take a. I've seen some teams arrange some bang some quick posts. Notre Dame did that a little bit in 2017, Ryan, if you remember, is they would run their inside zone, and if that back safety came downside, Brandon Wimbush would pull it and just bang it. Some people call it a quick post, deep slant, same concept. It's not a full post. It's not. It's it's not as deep as a regular post. It's not as quick as a slant. Some people teach their glance bases. Sometimes that's just an extension of the glance. You've got to get behind that safety with your depth. And so, but we've seen that before. So I think when you do that, Ryan, it makes it a lot harder to come here with your run game and there with your with your RPO defense. And I think those are the things that, that RPOs do. It takes work. It's not something you can just do. You can just put in in a week and and you're banging RPOs. It's something that takes work and it's something that has to be a part of who you are from day one. Sure. You have to work on it from day one. The quarterbacks need re- need reads on it day one. The receivers need need work on it day one, and and I think when you get to that when you get to that, it's it's a really great asset, really great asset. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming. And his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are, are, you, uh, are, are you dreaming of Tobias Merriweather and Deion Coles on like those glance RPOs? Oh, man, yeah. Just working on the seam. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and, and also like getting Lorenzo some, some touches in space, yep. you know, I think especially depending on some looks, you know, just kind of banging those little quick, I mean, it's almost like a hot pass to tight yep. ends and Jaden Thomas. Yeah. I'm I, And then doing stuff out of 21 personnel where you're throwing now screens out there to Chris Tyreek. So <clears throat> there's a lot of things you can do with it that if you coach it right and you really, I mean, you really work on it like you work on everything else, it's got to be a staple of who you are. You have RPO drills every day. You're, you have RPOs built into every team period, run period that you do. Then, yeah, I think I think those things can be a big part of what you do offensively and, and really can help take this Notre Dame offense to another level. So I do expect that to be more a part of what we're going to do. Pass game-wise, Ryan, you know, specific concepts. I, I don't think that what they're going to do schematically is going to change a ton in the pass game. I think what we're going to see is more more play action from the yeah. gun and under center, and and part of that's RPO. Now, a lot of times people say, well, that was an RPO play. No, it wasn't. That was a play action. You can tell by the way the line's blocking. And I think you have to have both. You can't just – I think there's like there's been a, there's a belief with some that you don't really need RPO or you don't really need play action if you have RPOs. I don't agree with that. I think you also need play action to go with that as well, especially the play action allows you to attack it even further down the field. I think we'll see some of that. Obviously, the tight end pass game is going to be a big part of it. But you know, I, I don't think this, the schemes are going to change a ton, and and I don't know if I'm comfortable enough to to get into the the, the wrinkles that they were going, that they're that they're going to do in the pass game at this point. I need yeah. to let Coach Gadouli and Coach Parker kind of get together and let's see what they do in the spring. But in a lot of ways, Ryan, the the, the schemes aren't going to change a ton. The concepts aren't going to change a ton. Uh, I think we'll just see a little bit more, a little bit more movement from the quarterback, a little bit more play action from the quarterback uh, than maybe we saw this past season, like true play action, not just like the flash fake to try to, because sometimes you'll call play. I've seen people say, why do they run play action on third and 15? Well, it, it's not real play action. It's just, they need the, 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 the scheme that they need blocking wise, they can only get to with this play action call. So you'll see like just a little, it's just kind of force a habit of the quarterback you know, and then he runs it because that's just kind of what they need to do to get there. So you'll see that at times too. But uh, from teams, I I I don't know if like we'll see that from Notre Dame. But I think that pass game wise, I, that's one thing I'm really much looking forward to seeing. Ryan is kind of what are some of the concepts they really want to harp on? Do they like? Here's the thing, I I want to see more quick game. Now the reason you couldn't run a lot of quick game last year, Ryan, is because people were just coming up and pressing all all game. And there was no quick game. weren't weren't a ton of quick game opportunities last year. So I want to see more quick game, but that can only come by being able to beat teams down the field. That's going to be a big part. They're, this team is going to have to establish the ability to throw the ball down the field. Now, how is Jared Parker going to get there? That I don't know. That I don't have an answer for. But we'll have to find out. But that's going to be a key. Yep. Let's talk run game, Ryan. This is an area where I feel a lot more confident in knowing what Jared Parker likes to do. So the concepts, Ryan, are not going to change in the run game. We're going to see inside zone. We're going to see outside zone. We're going to see counter. We're going to see duo, and we're going to see some draws, right? So the the emphasis, I think, is going to change. I think we're going to see inside zone be used a little bit more than it was this year. You and I talked a lot last year, Ryan. If you, as a coach, can effectively use inside zone and duo together, that makes your run game really hard to stop because duo you're playing vertical to the bounce right inside zone you're playing vertical insertion to the cutback and in a lot of ways ryan there's similarities to what it does but it really affects impacts the defense differently and we saw it last year that when in the games where tommy reese used both of those concepts 
the run game was really hard to stop. And we saw that in, in, in a great example is the bowl game. Duo, they used duo and inside zone. Duo didn't work a ton, Ryan, because South Carolina was playing it. But when they yeah. ran inside zone, which is looks a lot like duo from a running back standpoint, the first run, I mean, Chris Tyree was cutting it back. Audric was cutting it back. They started bouncing. And then all of a sudden later in the game, duo starts working a lot more now. I think the, the touchdown run to Logan Diggs, I believe, was an inside zone run, split zone run, if I remember correctly, Ryan. So they mixed it up a lot more effectively. You had counters in that game. I think we'll see a, a game plan that looks a lot more like that than what we saw most of the season. And I also think that we're going to see from conversations I had yesterday, we're going to see that, that I think this staff understands and Jared Parker understands we can't just be a tackle-to-tackle tackle run game. We have to be able to attack the perimeter with our run game as well. And so I think we'll see them try to get back to running more stretch, outside zone type of stuff as well, as long with inside zone and, and stretch is outside zone. But inside zone, duo, counter, and outside zone, uh, along with some draw stuff, I think is really going to be the, the the meat and potatoes of what the run game is going to be. So I think we're going to see a lot more balance in that regard, Ryan, which I know you and I are, if, if that comes to fruition, are going to be very happy. Very happy dudes. Uh, I mean, how many weeks in a row did we talk about diversity, right? Diversifying the run game a little bit. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And it just makes so much sense, man, because, like, everything has a counter off of it, right? And to your point, and it's 100%, is that, again, I'm thinking about it from a defensive perspective. If I'm a linebacker or a safety coming down and I, I'm looking at the line, right, what's the line doing? Well, to the naked eye, Duo and zone look very similar from those steps, right? Like there's a different, you know, there's a different foundation on the backside comparative, right? But you're looking at it, you're like, okay, that looks like a zone step to me, right? Like I'm watching the oh, the running zone, but then all of a sudden, because if I'm a linebacker or a safety, most people read the line to the running back, right? They don't they don't usually just read flow anymore because that's kind of dumb, right? They they let the offensive lineman show where they're going to. And if that case, I'm not really focusing on the track of the running back, right? Are they getting a little more downhill? Are they taking a little bit more of a 45-degree step out of their stance? I'm not really looking at that. I'm looking at the line, and then I'm reacting upon based upon what it looks like. Well, if I'm right reading something and I'm not sure if it's zone or if it's duo, then the bounce or the progression of that run, the track, completely changes. Completely changes. So now instead of staying firm backside as a weak side linebacker, maybe waiting for a zone, then all of a sudden it hits front side at, for, as based upon a duo run. And you're just like, I'm out of position, right? You're getting guys out of position and you're making yourself less predictable. That was my biggest, that was my biggest, I want to pick the word right. That was my biggest annoyance off of the 2022 season was that the run game at times got incredibly predictable, man. Incredibly predictable. And again, you're making the defense, you're making it easier for them. Why am I making it easy for those guys? I want them to be confused. I want to get them out of position. I don't want to make it easy for them. I don't want them to know I'm running duo right now. I don't want them to know I'm running inside zone, outside zone, whatever it is. I want to make them pick wrong and when they right. do that's when you get out leveraged that's when you give up a gap that's when you're not patient enough on the backside and that inside zone breaks back to the backside a backside b and then he's out the gate right that's when that stuff happens so diversity to run game please i will clap every single game please give me more diversity because you right. have the dudes you have audric estimate you have logan diggs you have chris tyree 
different skill sets. Let's use those different skill sets more appropriately. That's what I don't think we saw enough in 2022. And and we saw that in the, the inconsistency of the results, Ryan. I mean, when teams could get a read on duo, there was not a lot of answers because you didn't have a quarterback that could hurt teams. So it was one of the frustrations is, you know, you'd see a game like Clemson and you're like, you're just absolutely obliterating one of the best front sevens in college football. And there's not a dang thing they can do about it. And then you got the very next week and you can't run on Navy. And it was just like, cause Navy had answers for duo and there was nothing. No, I mean, there was Ryan, there were so many things, quick pitch outside. I mean, there were so many different things they could have done to hurt Nate, what Navy was doing. And they just chose not to do it. Now there were some things they did pass game second half that if the quarterback gets the ball out, that stuff would have worked. I mean, I, I, we, we've said that, but it just like the fact that you can't get your run game going against Navy. And yes, I get the Navy has a good, had a good run defense and, and all, but you, you should run for 69 yards against Navy. I don't care how good their run defense is. It's flipping Navy. You know, and that was kind of the, 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 the thing that would just, get to me at times last year was just like, man, when it was on, boy, it was a thing of beauty. But when it wasn't, or teams had answers for it, like USC just said, we're going to load the box and make you beat us throwing the football. And Notre Dame didn't have enough answers for it. Brian, I mean, just comparing two games, you cannot run for 260 against Clemson and then run for 69 against Navy. You can't have that wide of a gap, man. That's you just can't, that can't be. That can't be. Yeah. I think those are that's like a microcosm of the issues for the offense, right? You're right. When it was really good, it was really good, man. When it was bad, though, it was very bad. And right. that's you just can't have that too much of a gap in that type of performance. Yep. So, Ryan, I think when we look at the run game, that's obviously where I feel their name is now. I think what that is going to allow us to do is to say we can start when we hear a name about an offensive line coach, he needs to have that kind of background, in my opinion. So if you hear an offensive line coach, and he's been an air raid pin and pull guy his whole career, that that's not going to be the guy, right? That's not a bad thing. I mean, Bill Bedenball has been a pin and pull guy most of his career, and, and he's yep. excellent at it, right? It's just that's just not the scheme fit for Notre Dame. And, yeah. and, and so that's kind of where, where I'm coming from on that. So I, I feel like we have a pretty good idea, at least from a foundational standpoint, what a Jared Parker offense is going to be. And, and uh, I think those are, those are things that, 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 I mean, again, they're going to be foundational things. Now they have to say, okay, what are the, what are the particulars going to look like? And those are some things we really won't know until we get to the fall. Yes. Now we'll see the foundational past concepts more this spring. We'll see some of that stuff. But as far as okay, the spring is always where you let you should lay the foundation. And I've never liked coaches that just say, "Hey, we're getting everything in the spring." What? Why? Get your foundation in. Get get teach kids how to play the game. Get your foundational concepts and and, and fundamentals and work in. And then you get a feel for what you have talent wise. And then you spend this off season, this this summer, late spring and early summer period. Uh, saying okay, well now we're gonna we're gonna tailor these things to that. We've got our foundation laid. Now we're gonna tailor to some things that we think can really work with these guys and the unique talent that we have. And, and so I think that's what I'm hoping to see from them this spring. So we'll see a foundation laid this spring, and then of course we'll see it built upon in the fall. So it's going to be a learning process for all of us as far as some of the specifics of what they do. We can tell you we're going to see inside zone, outside zone, aka stretch. Uh, the, so for me, Ryan, when I say outside zone and stretch is two different things for me, it is, but it's the same blocking concept. When I talk outside zone, it's more of a, of a, of a, a, a 
par- uh, perpendicular or I say parallel handoff. Parallel. Yeah. So where it, it's like, you know, I'm in the shotgun and I got it back next to me and, and we're going here. The blocking's the same, but he's working, you know, sort of parallel to the line until he gets his insertion point. Think Bronc- Denver Broncos with Terrell yep. Davis. They would do that a ton off toss. Wide, wide zone. Yeah. Yep. And they would yep. do it off toss and Terrell would just kind of work laterally until he saw us cutting and bam, he'd hit his cut. Stretch is more of a 45 degree downhill run. Same blocking yep. scheme. The the running back is going to kind of track it a little bit differently off of that. Where outside zone, he's kind of looking for an insertion point to bounce. He's gonna he's thinking, uh, you know, stretch, 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 stretch. Bam! I got my vertical point. The right. the stretch is more of a get on the inside hip of that tight end if that's whatever the aiming point is. That's what we taught, right? Other people teach outside hip of the tackle. I mean, people teach it differently. I was an inside hip of the tight end guy. But if you're going to get on the inside hip of the tight end, you stay on that path until you're ready to make your move. And and so it's it's a it's same blocking scheme. It's just the technique is different for the back and how you influence the defense is different. So I always called it kind of two different things so people could understand it. It's still outside zone. And and really the only difference was it, the for the running back was if you're in gun, you're working parallel. If it's if if it's pistol or under center, you're working downhill. I mean, you didn't even have to tag it. Some people will tag it. We we never did. It was just you knew from where the quarterback was. If you're under center, this is what we're doing. If you're an offset, this is what we're doing. And then it was up to us to call it to get the look that we wanted. But it, it so it's not technically two plays. It's one play. It just attacks it differently. So inside zone, outside zone, counter duo is what we're going to see. What we don't know is. What are the what are the looks that they're going to like to run those out of? Is it is it eleven? What do they like to run out of eleven? What do they like to run out of twelve? What are, those things I don't know. Do they like to run to open side? Do they like to run to close side? Are they an inside zone to the wide technique or an inside zone to the tight technique? Those are all answers that I don't have right now, and we won't really have those till we get to the fall. But we at least have a foundation of okay, this is the concepts run game wise that I think we're going to see. This is the philosophy that I think we're going to see in, in regard to the balance of the run game. And, and I think that's a, a positive, something I'm encouraged by. And, yeah. and, and I've come to develop a great appreciation for duo over the last year, Ryan, but it's like anything, any good thing can be, you know, overused and it too has much, to have balance. Too much is going to make you sick, man. That's just what it, that's what it comes down to. You eat something too much. You're going to get tired of it. That's just yeah. kind of where we are with it. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's going to do it for this portion of the show, Ryan. I do want to address this situation that people keep talking about because we we address it at the beginning, okay? And we'll address it now. It's where everybody listen. Do not be naive. Please don't be naive. Don't be that guy that hears one thing, but because someone that you like and support says it, says something different, that you just believe that. Use common sense. Be smart about this. And you know what I'm referring to, Ryan? I'm referring to this new spin coming out of Notre Dame that, that people are just begging to believe. TJ oh, Stalika brings it It's from it ESPN. It's from ESPN, right. though. It's Who be also reported originally what we reported because that's the truth. It yes. says uh, that's actually not it. It was this one from TJ. It was, Brian, you should address the On3 article I sent you last night. People starting to run with it. I didn't necessarily read the article. I just saw the main topic. I don't read on three. I don't have a membership on three. I heard what Heather Dinich said on Paul Feinbaum's show. And folks, if that was the reality of how it happened, 
there would have been no time for what we reported and what Pete Dammel reported and what everybody reported beginning to gain oxygen. It would not have gone two to three whole days where that would have gained oxygen if that's actually, if what actually happened is what was said yesterday by Heather Dinich. Okay. That is nothing but PR, nothing but PR. I, I am a, I am 100% certain that what we reported happened that Notre Dame balked. Now, am I completely eliminating the notion that Notre Dame might've gone back after getting pressure from donors and from, from just the overall embarrassment getting called out and then try to say, Oh, well, Hey, we'll pay it now. Maybe they did that. But by that point in time, it was over. Marcus Freeman had already moved on and they, if they did that, Ryan, it was to save face when that got out and, and everything leaked out. There's no way Andy Ludwig is now coming back to, to Notre Dame at that point in time. No way. When that got out, and it was it was nothing more than you're reacting to you got crushed by your donor class, by the media, by fans for incompetence, and you're trying to save face. That's what's being reported now. Now look, there's going to be Notre Dame fans that eat that up, and I've already seen it. I don't care. But what I'm telling you is it's nothing but spin. Yeah. And I know it's spin because if it wasn't spin, it would have come out sooner. Days ago. Right. It would yeah. not have come out two over two days after all that stuff came out. Yes. I promise you that. And here's the other thing. Here's what I also know. We went hard on them for this. Hard. I promise you, if our facts were wrong, we would have got phone calls. saying you guys are wrong that's not what we got we got calls confirming it and if y'all think i'm gonna run with something and i'm gonna allow people that work for me to go that hard on notre dame you better darn sure believe there's not a shadow of doubt in my mind that what we're reporting is exactly what happened so you can believe the spin if you want but that's exactly what it is it's bs if notre dame tried to go back it was already after that it had had gone down and it was not happening and Marcus Freeman had was moving forward. This is nothing but a CYA situation. Ron Paulus got embarrassed and Jack Swarbrick, who it also got embarrassed because of the people he put in charge to run the situation, dropped the ball. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so if you want to believe the spin, God bless you. I get it. But it's that's all it is. It's spin. And I like Heather Dinich and I think she's a quality college football reporter, but no one's infallible and she's being used. She's being played in this situation. And I understand there's going to be some people that are going to buy that because they, they, there's people that don't want to believe that Notre Dame would do something like that. But even what, what they're saying is true is still bad. Even if what she said is true, and it's not, that's still bad. You balked at the amount. You did not know what the amount was. You got called your pants down. You said no to that amount. Then later, you went back and said, okay, we'll pay it now. But Andy Ludwig said, thanks, but no thanks. That's worse to me. That's what makes this even dumber, is your attempt at spin actually makes you look worse. Like, that they think this is actually a good angle to take is nonsense. But people are eating it up. 
people are eating it up. Is this true? No, it's not true. And if it was true, you'd have known immediately. It took them some time to say, what are we going to say? What are we going to report? What are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? If, if I'll tell you this right now, if you reported something about me, Ryan, and I knew it was just flat out wasn't true. And if I was at Notre Dame doing that, I would have darn sure been on the phone with the people accusing me of that. And I said, Hey, I don't know what you're hearing, but that's flat out. Not true. Flat out. Not true. But I've talked to enough people very close to this situation to know that that's not how it went down. Not how it went down. But now Notre Dame is out there trying to play CYA. That's what's happening right now. Ron Paulus is playing CYA. And people covering for Ron Paulus and Jack Swarbrick. Because let me just tell you, they caught hell from the donor class and the fan base for what happened. As they should have. As they it should does have. not go on as long as it went on. That beating that they took does not go on as long as it goes on if it, was a, if it wasn't how it went down. That's called we need time to figure out our take on this and how we're going to spend this. So you can believe it if you want, but this isn't the place where we do that. We don't, we don't do the spin game here. We don't do the let's protect Notre Dame thing here. They make enough money. They can protect themselves. I would just wish that if they were going to do spin, they would do spin that didn't make them look as equally stupid as they already looked before. <laughs> like, think about this. That's their angle. Well, yep. no, 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 no. We went back later and said we were later willing to pay the amount. How were you not prepared to pay that amount at the, at the time? How did you not know that was the amount at the time? How did you not know that the buyout was going to be a problem at, on Sunday, on Saturday and Sunday? How did you not know that? How did there's you just not too know many, that? There's just too many holes in the argument, right? Like it all comes back to everyone knows you're lying. You know, it's a, yep. Brian, it's, it's like my wife coming up to me and saying, don't forget to take the trash out today. And then I forget to take the trash out, but I still put it back to the curb later after everybody's already gone. And right. then she comes home and she's like, wait, why is the trash not taken? I don't know, honey. They just didn't no, stop well, at our house, I guess. Yeah, exactly. They went to everyone else's house, but yeah, they yeah. didn't go to ours for some reason. Exactly. But I swear I put it out there. Stupid, yeah. You know, and and so uh, that's the thing for me is like, I would have more respect for them if they just said, you know what? That's on us. We, we, we didn't do what we needed to do. That's on us. I would actually have more respect for them if they did that. Hey, drop the ball. Won't happen again. We're going to make sure. Hey, Marcus, we're going to fix this. You tell me whatever offensive line coach you need and we'll make it happen. I don't care how much it costs. Right. But instead, they're doing this. No, no, no. We went back and it was Andy Ludwig that had cold feet. Cold feet? What are you talking about? Cold feet? It's no, you embarrassed yourselves. And if I'm Andy Ludwig and I'm seeing how Notre Dame handled this, I don't want to work for those people. Right. Why would I want to go to that? They can't even get this simple thing right. Andy Ludwig's done this a lot. He's been doing, he's been going from job to job for a long time. This is, this is ridiculous where this kind of got into it. So, they can play CYA all they want. I'm not buying it because the people that I talk to, and it's m- several people, I trust them a whole lot more than I trust Ron Paulus and Jack Swarbrick and whoever they're using to spin this narrative flat out. Yeah. So that's my answer to that. I wasn't planning on addressing that today because honestly, I just didn't care. I, I assumed that everyone would see through that and, and, and ignore it. I'm shocked at how many people are buying this, to be completely honest with you. Shocked. A lot, a lot, a lot are too, man. It's disgusting on Twitter yeah. right now. A lot are buying it. Yeah. And 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 the funny thing is the ignorant responses that, that you get about it are just like, you really are clowning yourself right now. 
you, you yeah. really are clowning yourself right now. Like you're 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 going to go hard on this direction. Well, you you look kind of stupid, and so just let them talk. But it's it's false. It's false. And so here's the thing: you're you're telling me that it took. When did Pete Dammel make his report? Let me let me, let me try to find. It was Pete Monday Dammel. night, wasn't it? Monday was, night. I'm I'm going to try to find my report. So find it. So it's Pete Dammel put it out. Uh, let's see the Notre Dame thing. So we got um, see would that be would that be the twelfth Ryan? Yes. Okay. Yes. So here we go. So we got Pete Thamel. Let's go through his Twitter thing now. So Pete Thamel. Let's see here. So that'd be the thirteenth. So the fifteenth was Wednesday. So thirteenth was Monday, right? Thirteenth so was 16, 15, Monday. Yep. So Monday. So yep. Monday. He puts it out. He says his buyout proved an obstacle. Utah offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig is staying at Utah. His buyout proved an obstacle in discussions with Notre Dame. Pete Thamel, very trusted source, got that. We then did our digging. So I didn't confirm Pete Thamel's report. I didn't actually believe his report when it first came out. I thought he got bad information. It's like there's no way Notre Dame is this stupid, or this this like th- there's no way this is this is ac- accurate. So we did our digging. And talk to our sources, very good sources. And you look at it and said, okay, this happened. And then we did our show that night. And then we got even more confirmation after the show and the next day. It's not until Wednesday on Paul Feinbaum's show that Heather Dinich comes out with this saying, no, no, Notre Dame circled back. I believe this is what she said. I didn't listen to it. Notre Dame circled back, and they were then willing to meet the demands, but Andy Ludwig got cold feet, basically. Correct? Two days later, that comes out. Y'all, if Jack Swarbrick and Ron Paulus knew what we were saying on Monday and all day Tuesday was fake, do you really think they'd wait until Wednesday and use Heather Dinich to do it, or would they be talking to Notre Dame people and saying, hey, guys, this is not how it happened? It would not take. It does not take me, a two days, to set to figure out that what you're reporting about me is wrong. I promise you that. And I promise you, Notre Dame is very well aware that this that they were getting hammered for this immediately. This is nothing more than CYA. So if you want to kind of go in there and, and to and to believe it and buy it, you have that right. It's a free country. You can believe whatever nonsensical thing you want to believe. Okay, I'm just telling you. You're believing something that's not the truth. And that's the fact. And that's where we're going to leave it. So the, I know what happened. And, this, and 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 I know how it went. And I know what the response was Monday night and Tuesday from Marcus Freeman and what how he went about his business. We saw it. He immediately started turning to Jared Parker. Right. And then you start hearing these things. Well, it's not all done yet. It's not all over with. That starts coming out like Tuesday night. And trust me, y'all, that's not how it went down. So people are going to believe what they're going to believe, Ryan, right? We've learned this. We learned this long time ago. We're not changing many people's minds, but I'm telling you there's there's the truth and then there's the spin. And this you can believe whatever you want to believe. Great comment here from Larry Fredell who just said, F spin, let's win. I love yep, that, Larry. Absolutely. That. Absolutely. So I wanted to kind of get that. Uh, I wanted to get that out. So people could hear it be addressed. Yep. 
and I don't really feel like talking about it anymore. So I'm not even a little bit backing down from my initial report and initial feelings and initially what we said, because I know what happened. And they, they're blaming the agent. They're blaming this person, that person. It's they dropped the ball. Simple as that. They dropped the ball. And yep. now, and Notre Dame's moving forward and I'm moving forward. So uh, we won't be spend pawns. I, I'll give them credit. They haven't, they haven't tried to reach out to us and ask us to change our story. I think they're smart, at least smart enough to know that would not be a good idea. That would be a very bad idea. So that's where we're at. So that's going to do it for this portion of the show. We're going to do a mailbag next, Ryan. And people have a lot of things to 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 get into that they want to ask. Uh, I'm ready to put this behind us because Andy Ludwig's not coming. That's the end game of this. They have already kind of come out, or they've they've come out. They've got their new offensive coordinator. They've got their new quarterbacks coach. We're moving forward, and that's where we're going to be. So we're going to do a mailbag next, Ryan. But before we get to the mailbag, folks, please hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. If you're listening via podcast platform, please give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate that. And make sure you are signed up for or subscribe to the CFB Nation channel as well on YouTube and podcast. And, of course, make sure you're signed up to the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.